Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone, on this episode of 30 with Murdy is a conversation with Stuart Sternberg, principal owner of the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a return engagement for Sternberg, who was a guest here back in 2016. There is certainly a divide between owners and players, and while it's always been there, there are times the divide appears greater. And that's usually in a negotiating year like 2021, and the circumstances of putting on baseball in 2020 shine a light on that difference as well. What was it like for the owner of the small revenue raise this year? What will baseball look like in 2021? And how long will it take for the sport to recover? These are just some of the topics we broached with Stu Sternberg. Our discussion veered into Steve Cohen's ownership of the Mets and what that means for the team and the sport. Where Tampa Bay is headed in the not-so-distant future. Some thoughts on diversity in the game on the field with Sternberg, who is the former chairman and still a member of MLB's Diversity Oversight Committee. Also, who will play Sternberg in the Randy Arozarena story? First and foremost, how did Rays fan number one react when Kevin Cash removed Blake Snell in the sixth inning of Game 6 of the World Series? That was topic number one. Always insightful and accessible, more than most owners in the game. Here is my conversation with Rays owner, Stuart Sternberg. All right, so really there's no other place to start. It's the sixth inning of Game 6. Where are you? What are you thinking when you see Kevin Cash's head pop out of the dugout to make the pitching change? Yeah, I, I was I was in the stadium. We were sitting um, uh, on the first base side, inside, like between the dugout and home plate, up on a second in a second level, and um, I, you know, I, I it wasn't unexpected. And we we'd been through this movie before many times, even recently in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, generally it's it's pretty certain if Kevin's coming out, he's going to make a change. They've made a decision, and they were going to make it. You're watching the game like the rest of us are, and you see what Blake Snell is doing. And I'm sure you've seen all the reaction people have had since then. Um, in the moment, are you, as he's watch, as you're watching Blake Snell do what he's doing with the Dodgers, are you still questioning it yourself? Well, I'm always thinking, you know, I, I was we're thinking ahead a couple of batters before, um, and he wasn't as, you know, the, the, he wasn't throwing – quite as well right he was still thrown really well but you know Mookie Betts has faced and I knew it was coming had faced Snell it wasn't just a third time through the order sort of thing but it faced Snell for years had a lot of success against him for years um and you know Seager had had been hitting well too so it, to me it was sort of if we can get through I was really thinking more about Seager than Mookie Betts at that point that if we can get through Betts somehow Snell versus Seager was a good as good a matchup as we could get. Uh, so that was my only question about it. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Nick Anderson for us had been just so incredible uh, since last year. But I think the work through it, you know, uh, that he had to do through the playoffs and everything else throwing as often as he did, you know, took its toll on him. But, uh, you know, we saw a couple of instances where, you know, once it really worked out well against the Astros and once not as well against the Yankees. How are you watching this game? Are you watching it as a fan, albeit a heavily invested fan, or is you are you watching it as the owner of the team? Yeah, I I, I, uh, I think a heavily invested fan. I'm always watching as a fan. Uh, I don't think about the ramifications and, and things like that. I think there was only one time I thought about the ramifications, and that was back in 2008 with the Red Sox, meaning that if you play another game and or if you lose the game to get into the World Series Game 7, that was a very big deal uh, because it was, uh, you know, just for us to get to the World Series that first time in a way, we had never had success, but, you know, I'll get past that. But I watch it purely as a fan. 
but somebody who's got a, an informed, you know, I'm informed of what we're planning to do. Um, obviously, that changes at times and in the way we do things and we stuck to our plan uh, regardless of where it was. And so it, uh, it, it wasn't surprising to me at all. But I was, look, is that like anybody else? I was upset when we took him out, but I was also pleased when we took him out. And it really just turned immediately to, all right, let's see Anderson get Mookie Betts out. One of the things I remember in my days of acting like a fan was watching game six of the Phillies and the Blue Jays in 1993. The Phillies have a lead in the ninth inning, and I'm dreaming to game seven. I'm picturing what game seven Mm. is going to look like and how that anticipation is going to go and that you've staved it off and you have a chance to win a championship. How much of that is going through your mind in that moment of game six where you're thinking ahead to game seven and a chance to win? Yeah, uh, That's a great question. Uh, you almost can't help your mind from going there. And because of that, uh, you know, I've had, and, you know, as a fan, you have so many opportunities. And as the owner of the team, you have so many opportunities to do that, that I have, I have really forced myself over the years when my mind even starts to wander a little bit towards, all right, what if I say no? <laughs> and, I, and I get back to center in a, in a hurry because, you know, everybody's a little superstitious, I suppose, right? Well, most people are to some extent. And I know the first time you start thinking one batter ahead, one, even one pitch ahead, right? You go, oh, it's 0-1. Well, if we can get to 0-2, we could bounce a curve. No, let's, you know, what's going to happen? And the only time I will think ahead, and the one thing as a baseball fan and, and, and you know, Uber fan or whatever you want to call it, owner, um, is when it's 0-2 on a, on a batter, I will think a pitch ahead because we have a freebie, so to speak. And nothing, nothing irks me more than when we give up something at 0-2. And nothing, nothing makes me think less of the other pitcher and team when we get a hit at 0-2 because there's no reason for it. There's just no reason for it. Like you either bounce one or throw one. So I'm always thinking ahead. It's like, all right, bounce this pitch, and then we could come up with a high fastball or vice versa. That's the only time I go pitch ahead. Did you speak to your team after the, after the game, after the no, series? No, no, I've stayed away. I've been away. I was, I was there through spring training every day. And it was really marvelous to see this group of guys we had. Uh, and, and, it, and because of that, I was able to feel close to them all year. But then the idea that we weren't going to play, we were going to play, we weren't going to play. Uh, so I, I haven't been with the team at all um, since March, mid-March. And, uh, you know, I've stayed in contact with manager and, and, and all, but, you know, nobody else, a couple of players over, this, over the season, but no. How soon after game six did you <laughs> speak to Kevin Cash and what'd you tell him? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Was it that night? I think it was the next day and just, uh, you know, it was an, it was just about the season, just how amazing, incredible. Cause it was clear to me, you know, from watching everything, you know, starting with playing the blue Jays, you know, when you don't take any team for granted, especially two out of three. Right. And they're a good club. We played them all year, very tight. It was yeah. always one run games. Uh, but to go through the Yankees and the Astros and play the Dodgers, the three highest payroll teams in baseball. Uh, it was nothing. I want. It was nothing short of just, just you know, we we hit on every cylinder, you know, to get to that point. And it was clear to me in facing the Dodgers, um, as it was, I would say, uh, in 2013 facing the Red Sox when we lost them in the playoffs. Just you know, they you know, man for man, pound for pound, any way you want to look at it. They were, a, they were a better team. They just were a better team. And, you know, it's those kind of things where I take it to heart, and I'll get to the conversation with Kevin, that, you know, we've got a, let's call it a 60 or $70 million payroll, and they got a $200 million payroll. And you can't, you know, I hate to always harp on it, but every oh, payroll aside, you know, even another $60 million only, right? You're talking about Mookie Betts, you know, with two or three relievers, a starting pitcher. It's it's an you got four all stars. You're missing six all stars. It's just yeah. I'm proud of the guys we had, but you know what? You know, Mookie Betts batting first for us, I think might have made a difference. And, and you know, you think of all the fifteen and twenty five million dollar guys, it's crazy. So I, I take all that into account because I wear that. And so when I talk to Kevin, it's just pure pride and 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 adulation for the job he's done because uh, I know what he's had to put into this, and I know what he has to do and his staff have to do to even get us to any point to playing the Dodgers in that World Series. 
it seems I get asked every year during the course of a season, how are the Rays doing this? And you know, I've kind of come to the answer of, you know, they're really good, you know, it, and they've got good players and they've got a good staff. And, you know, it's, it's easy to see when you watch them play that this isn't some fluky thing. They're a good team. But do you ever ask yourself, do you ever sit there and look at the standings at whatever point during the year and see what you're doing and say, how are we doing this? How, how is this happening? Uh, always. <laughs> you know, we, we, have, we have expectations on the players that we have. Well, I mean, let's be real about it. You know, you, you know is it, we don't do it so much anymore, but I remember the papers, <clears throat> excuse me, used to run. It was always when the World Series came around, it was position by position. Or with the baseball, you know, the first uh you know the baseball preview right it was Mets Yankees who's got the better first baseman better second baseman all that stuff I mean you take a look at us I'll start with the Dodgers I love our guys don't get me wrong there's not one of our players who would start on that team yeah not one I mean go around the outfield go around the infield go to the catcher you know go to their leading pitchers and our leading pitchers go it's we are behind them at every single position and you can make the case pretty much the same way about the Yankees and the Astros. Maybe we're not nine for nine or 12 for 12, but it's pretty darn close. They, neither of those teams would trade their guys for our guy for the most part. You know, yeah. you can make a case. And, and you know, Rosarina had amazing playoffs, but, I, you, know, the, the, you know, you look who they have and gave it. It's not happening. Yeah. So it is incredible. And I, and I don't lose sight of that. And I often pinch myself and ask myself how, but, you know, there's no secret sauce to this. It's just God darn hard work and conviction and planning and execution and managing and coaching and detail and all the stuff that everybody does. But we can't miss by an inch. We don't have the luxury to miss a pitch, which is why when we take Snell out of a game, we don't have the luxury to say, ah, you know, maybe we'll get four runs in the seventh or the eighth. It's not happening. You know, we're not the Yankees. We're not the Astros. Ah, you know what? Well, the meaty part of our order is coming up. We could probably get three to five runs. It, it, we, so we need to do that. And sometimes our razor-thin margin, it, it doesn't work, right? But that's who we are, and that's what we are. It's funny. I've used that same expression, razor-thin margin, to explain how the Yankees lose in a lot of these postseason series, and even your series, too. I'm thinking, you know, I keep coming back to the at-bat Luke Voigt had uh, against uh, Pete Fairbanks, sixth inning. There's two mm-hmm. on, two outs, and he strikes out on a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, he gets his bat on that pitch. You know, that series is over. You know, the Yankees have a lead at that point. It changes everything about the way the game goes, and you're talking about your lineup. You're trying to come back now razor-thin margins. Even with a high payroll, it seems like there are razor-thin margins at work. Well, I'll take my chances with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I t- as, you know, it's, it's crazy, you know, but, it, you know, it, sometimes those, you know, you say, oh, you've got a guy who's, a, you know, two million bucks and he's much better than a $25 million guy. I get it. Yeah. But you know what? When you have six of those guys, it's kind of hard. Yeah. And you saw that in the Dodgers series. You saw it in the Astros series. And like the Yankee series, yeah, it was so close. It was here. It was there. It could have been void. It could have been this one. It could have been, you know, Stanton's hitting balls into, you know, yeah. up into Westchester County. You know, we don't, you know, you take them out of the lineup. They're still going to, you know, judge to neutralize a guy like that is you can't expect to neutralize a guy like that, but you're going to do everything you can, every darn pitch to make it happen. I've had this conversation with before, and I'm curious where you sit now, even after, you know, I mean, you've owned the team for 15 years now. Is yeah. competing enough, you know, um, there, I mean, you've laid out the, the difficulties in who you're competing against. And I think it's harder in this division than in any other division because of what the Yankees and Red Sox do uh, and what they're able to spend. But at some point, you're playing a game. You know, this isn't, you know, five restaurants all in a sort of a small vicinity who are all just trying to be profitable and do their thing. You're competing for the same prize every year. And there's, you know, and you came really close this year. And you've done it twice now where you've gotten to the World Series. But at some point, do you need to be measured or do you think of yourself as being measured the same way everybody else measures themselves in sports that it's, a championship is the goal, and just competing isn't necessarily enough. Yeah, I, if I did, we would be winning most years, be winning 64 games. So I can't measure it like that. 
Uh, I understand why the Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Astros, Giants, Cubs, you know, you, you know, White Sox, everybody. And, I, and there's no, there's no, uh, I, they should be doing that, right? And I could be doing that. But to, to try to do that and measure ourselves like that and, uh, you know, because you have to plan and, and, and execute the players you get, the, the, your farm system, all that stuff. If, 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 it was, if it was purely about that or almost all about that, um, we couldn't compete because we're $65, 70000000 million. You just can't do it. You might get lucky one year, but you look at the Royals. I mean, you know, they drafted for a dozen years in the top three or four or five to get to that point that they mm-hmm. did to have that competitive window. They spent like crazy to have to do it. Uh, and they, they got knocking on the door and then they won the World Series, you know, great for them. And it was, thank goodness, right? But the aftermath is, you know, it, it ain't fun sometimes. Right. The, the profit and loss, you know, puts you back. The, the, um, the, the, the prospects you give up to get to that point. And don't get me wrong, when, if, if we're close, right? And we've done this in the past. You know, last year we went out and we got the guys, you know, who got Fairbanks and we got Anderson. We gave up prospects. For both of those guys, we, you know, we gave up prospects to get a Rosarina, you know, we to give us that opportunity to win the World Series. No, we can't go out and bring in Justin Verlander. I just I can't do it. Right. It just physically doesn't exist for us. I can't go give up Juan DeFranco to get, you know, some guy. Oh, my. You could have had Mookie Betts. And my, oh, yeah. OK, fine. You know, was it I can't do it. Right. Um, it, maybe we should have. We might have won the World Series this year. But I, I, who knows? But I just, that's just, we can't do it. I always feel like the hardest thing to do in sports is to get this close to winning a championship and then having to start all over again, you know, with the preseason, you know, the offseason, the preseason, everything else. And you're starting off 0-0 again, and then every, you're trying to get back to that same place. There are teams that manage to do that, that manage to finally climb out, of, you know, climb that mountain after getting that close. I assume because of how we've been talking about this, it's just much harder in your circumstance to think about doing that. And, you know, it's the goal, but to think that, okay, you came this close last year, you're going to get right back there again next year. That's got to be a lot harder to do in your shoes. Well, I think it, it, it comes back to a question you asked, you know, a few minutes ago, which is, you know, do you start thinking about, oh, if we win game six, do we get to game seven, right? If you, if you start to think about, how are we going to win the World Series? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, yeah, you, you, you know, and again, it's not to pick on teams. You talk, it's just as I think about it, right? You know, the Royals won the World Series. They tried to go back again and they fell flat. The Red Sox in 2013 won the World Series. Twenty, You know, they've done this a, a couple of times. You fall flat. Yeah. The Marlins in 2003, was it? They, they won, you know, when, you know, when, you know, the team fell, you know, gets broken apart. It's, the, the, the sports, especially baseball, because of the, the, the movement of the players and how many you need for a team, right? It's not like LeBron James will be here next right. year and he won't be here. Uh, it, 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 it's, the, the landscape is littered with, with, with uh, plans to win the World Series next year, given what we did the year before. And you, it, every year stands on its own. You've seen teams, uh, all teams, every single team has been guilty of this uh, for right or wrong, bring back players. You look at the Nationals, right? You know, they won the World Series. I'm not saying they did anything wrong, but, you know, you get predisposed to bringing those guys back. The Mets, uh, you know, 2015, you know, certain guy, let's bring, you know, sign this guy. Bring. He was our hero. He was our, you, you can't let what happened dictate your plan for the next season. So Andrew Friedman now has a World Series ring. Joel Madden has a World Series ring. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Well, James Click almost got to the World Series, you know, this year. Uh, you know, Rocco Baldelli was in the playoffs. He'll probably get them. Montoyo is, you know, they're going to have a juggernaut for a number of years, all of our guys. Look, I'm, pr- I'm proud as heck for all of them, right? I, I wish they were all still under our roof. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, clearly, you know, when people ask back in 08, 9, 10, you know, uh, 12, 4, 13, you know, the Longoria, Game 162, all the stuff that we've done, and all the success we've had, you know, how do they do it? How do they do it? Well, it's because we had people like Andrew Friedman and, and Chaim Bloom was with the Red Sox now and James Click and Rocco and Joe Madden and Charlie Montoyo. 
um, and uh, you know Matt Arnold with the with the Brewer, you know, and 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 others out there, um, you know, and I'm missing a number of them. Jim Hickey, who's gone. So, you know, it really is so much about the people that you have. I feel great for Andrew. You know, it's something he's strived for. They've been, I've knocked on the door a number of times. That team was built for the World Series. It hasn't been built to get to the World Series. Uh, they, you know, just sort of like the Yankees for a number of years, they haven't had to build their team to get to the playoffs. You know, that's forever, right? It's right. been the case. The, the additions they make, the relievers and the starting pitchers, it's all about the World Series, right? So they can, I'm going to say take for granted because they've done an amazing job. Uh, you know, they can sort of a little bit take for granted, a little bit, you know, the regular season. And we don't have that, uh, you know, I have to play for the regular season right. in spades. And then, and then sort of rebuild our mindset for the World Series. The, uh, just getting the season off the ground, I think, was, it was a monumental endeavor. And yes. not just getting it off the ground, getting it to the finish line. <laughs> Uh, getting through it, even with all the things that happened early on, just the fact that you're able to get to a playoffs and World Series, finish a season, I thought that it was, you know, whoever was going to win was going to be allowed to celebrate because, you know, they had to, uh, you know, get over hurdles that other teams didn't have to in a 162-game season. So I appreciated the effort that went into putting a season on. But there's still a lot of distrust when you think about the negotiations that happened and things that happened with the union. Uh, how bad was 2020 from the standpoint of the owners and the, you know, no fans meant, you know, no ticket sales. How bad was it from that revenue standpoint for the owners this year? Well, the only thing good, there's <laughs> not a lot of good in 2020 anyhow, but you know, you try to look at the good, the only positive thing, for, for the game that came out of 2020, and it's huge because it was, a, it was a Herculean effort to get it going, to keep it going, and to finish it. Uh, and all the learning and, and, and uh, malleability that was done along the way, which was an enormous effort. You know, it wasn't like, okay, fine, we got it going, you know, plug and play, let it do its thing. Uh, the people up in the MLB central offices, and, and especially like the training staffs and the traveling staff, you know, the, the uh, traveling secretaries and what for the teams, it was it was amazing job. The only good thing about this season or about the 2020 year for baseball is that we played the games. Yeah. Everything else, everything else was just it was a series of unfortunate events. So lemon the lemony snicket yeah. or something. It was a, it was a series. And, I, I, you know, it, 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 it to me, the focus from the beginning if it and and all through it, had it been on both sides, purely about playing the season, and doing it in a way that caused the least amount of, of grief and pain and 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 loss for 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 the players and for the owners, uh, and for the teams, I think would have led to a much better outcome, um, as opposed to you know if, if there's a dollar and I get ninety cents and you get ten cents, that's really good, or vice versa, right? Um, it was it, both sides were going to feel pain this year. And, and I think it was just, it was, you know, the recognition of the sharing of that pain and then, and making sure that it didn't uh, hurt the game, you know, wasn't fully appreciated by both sides. The union still just doesn't seem to trust the numbers that are put out there when, when the leagues or the owners say, this is how much money we're losing. Their responses show us. Um, how, I mean, how do you feel as a guy who runs this team and knowing you're coming up into a bargaining year and all the, I said, all the things that have gone into negotiating, it's not as easy as it maybe it, it was in years past. Um, when you hear these guys say, we just don't believe that you're losing this much money, how do you respond? Look, Pete, I, um, I know what's what in baseball, right? I don't know what's what in you know, restaurant around the corner, you mentioned four restaurants. Yeah. So, you know, people have businesses and employees say, hey, you know, why am I getting paid $15 an hour? This guy's making a fortune and show me the books. You know, I'm entitled to make a fortune. I'm not. And all that stuff. Uh, look, I, I, you know, I know what we lost. I know what a number of teams lost. And it doesn't take rocket science to sort of figure it out, right? I, I, I recognize the, the, the union's desire to see the books, right? Because when you open the books, let's say in a year when you've lost what we've lost, two years from now, it's like, okay, show them to us now. Aha, you actually made money. Like, 
are we allowed to make money? Am I, can I, I don't even, you know, do I solve for zero? Do I, you know, maybe the right thing is we should, the raise should solve to lose $12 million every year because that's the right thing, you know, but there's no real right answer to it. Mm -hmm. But I do believe, and I, and I firmly believe it, that most of the owners in the sport run their team to win most all. <laughs> I can't think of any, actually, that don't run in, ba- in baseball, at least. I don't know any other sports. Run their teams to be successful on the field and, and win games and championships. There's, there's nobody in this, in, in this game that I know of, and I know these guys, uh, who do this to, to make a buck. Yes, you want to make a buck. Yes, you need to make a buck. Uh, but that's not the first, second, or third motivating factor in any of this. And they care about the game. And I look, I know every team lost a lot of money this year. And some lost unconscionable amounts of money. And it doesn't, you know, we, it's not difficult to do the math on this one, right? We don't know who's coming. Well, I don't, you know, how do you plan a budget when you don't know if you're going to have fans in the stands even next year, right? Which is a, you know, a huge source of revenue. So, you know, there's not much else to say that, you know, other than, you know, I think the, uh, the players and the, and the owners uh, need to work together, you know, and it sounds trite for the good of the game and for the health of, the, of, of their pocketbooks and the, and for the ability of the owners to continue to invest in the sport and in its growth. You mentioned ticket sales. Is is there a, a drop dead date here where you've got to figure out? Okay, are we going to be allowed to have fans in the stands? Are we going to be able to sell tickets? Um, and I, you know, the thing I was thinking about this morning is this isn't created equal around the country. You know, because of the um, the different situations here. You have your fan base is uh, an older demographic based on just geography, and you have a closed roof stadium. Um, so it's not created equal everywhere. Um, does that present a unique challenge to you? And do you have to have a a date where you've got to know, okay, this is how many tickets we're going to be allowed to sell before you start planning for next season? Yeah, I, I, uh, there's no, there's no drop dead date on it. Um, when you, when you have, um, you know, any business, you have to make plans and there are, there are businesses, every business around the country right now are making plans to what they're next three months look like, what 2021 looks like. So we have to do the same. And you can take a few different approaches or a couple in particular. You can say, you can, or three, you can say, all right, what if there are no fans in the stands? You could say, what if we're at full capacity, you know, if we're full amount in the stands, or you take a guesstimate, let's say, of some number in between that says, you know, I'm going to be, and I'm going to be a little, cons- the most conservative approach you would take in budgeting would be we're not going to have any fans in the stands. So let's say for the Tampa Bay Rays, I'll make up a number because you could sort of do the math, right? We get a million fans, let's say, at you know an average ticket price of you know thirty dollars a ticket, let's say. And it's, those aren't exact numbers, but they're not dramatically off. And some concessions and parking and all that come with it. So if I'm going to say, I'll just say, let's say we have thirty million dollars. And again, these aren't real numbers, but they're not dramatically off. If we, if I could say, well, in a if this were a normal year. You know, given what's going on with the, the pandemic, but we're still allowed to have a full stadium of fans and given the number of people who are going to be afraid to come and the number of people who can't afford to come anymore, we're going to get $30 million, right? Again, just a made up number. Um, well, you know something? If nobody's allowed in, it's zero. So somewhere between zero and 30 is where it is. Do I plan for zero? That's probably not correct. Do I plan for 30? Probably not very prudent. So I pick a number in between. Is it 10? Is it 15? Is it 20? Are we going about halves? You know, and every team is going to have to do that, you know, with their own some with their own uh, thought process. Some will be optimistic and say, ah, I think we're going to get twenty five million dollars out of that 30 in. Some are going to be, uh, you know, very conservative and say, you know, maybe the number is going to be like 10. I'm a little scared. I just lost a lot of money last year and I I just can't lose it. And and you manage that way. And the thing with it, when you say drop that date, is that, look, it's possible opening day, you know, instead of having 30,000 fans in this, in this sands, we have zero or we have 10. I'm planning not to have 30,000. I know we, it's just not going to happen. Uh, or if it's zero, maybe by June or July, we'll have half full stands. So personally, I'm thinking about it that we're, the way I'm thinking about 2021 
at this point, and this could change in a couple of months, who knows the vaccine or the treatment, though, does it get a lot worse, right? We have that going on. Um, I'm I'm planning that we're going to be at about 30% revenue, whatever that number is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it ends up at 50 or 60, which would be great. Maybe it ends up at 10, (laughs) you know, or zero, which would not be so great. But you know, I'm leaving myself a little room and maybe by January, I'll say, you know something, I'm a little more optimistic. Let's go to 50%. But right now I'm thinking about it around 30%. And last year we were obviously at zero. You mentioned something that I've kind of thought about a couple of times during the course of this year. You know, just the fact that opening it up to ticket sales doesn't mean everything's back to normal. There are a lot of people, you know, you're talking about uh, this is disposable income you're talking about and how to spend it. And there are a lot of people who don't have the same amount. So there is going to have to be a major adjustment factor in yes. every entertainment business. And you are in one to, you know, it doesn't just turn the corner in one year. This is a several year proposition to try to get it back up to normal as people try to get their lives back in order and have more of an ability, uh, whether it's go to, you know, if you used to go to 10 games, now you go to two. If you used to go to 50 games, now you go to, to 10. I mean, this is something that's going to be a multi-year uh, thing you have to deal with. A thousand, Sweeney, you're exactly right. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not <laughs> sitting there telling you, I, that's exactly how I'm thinking about this. I believe that's how people should be thinking about it, whatever business you're in. And you did make it more broad. It's entertainment. It's, you know, restaurants. It's, it's it museums. You know, you everything, right? You know, except if you're, you know, like with, you're doing something on, on video. You know, that also, because if people can go out, now the video goes down. What a movie, you know, everything. So, yeah, this it's not like you're going to flip a switch here. Like you say, you know, drop the date. Everything is going to be, it's all going to be gray area. Um that it is multi-year because for and it's not just okay everybody's cured or there's a there's a everybody get back people have been hurt dramatically they've been they've been lives lost they've been you know chronic issues going on their businesses that have closed you know look at look at all every ballpark i don't care which it is airlines are a a a a, a big sponsor an amazing big huge sponsor or a big sponsor right Mm -hmm. Airlines are, you know, where are they? Yeah. So there are entertainment businesses that advertise with us, you know, that, that are sponsors. And, you know, how, you can't expect them to be back and, and certainly not in full force. And, and then you have businesses, law firms or, or uh, I'm not, you know, that have just gone out of business, right? Tons of businesses who haven't held on, who used to buy some tickets, right? So, and it's not just going to turn around. There's going to be, is going to be a lot of uh, pain, and you need the growth. So, you know, to, to extend it out, as I think about 2021, I have to think about 22, 23, 24. When is the normalcy? When are we back to, let's call it 100%, if it ever happens, right? So even if we get to 50% this year, it, you know, is it 70 or 80% the year after? And how do you account for that? So do we, if we're borrowing money from the future years <laughs> and you're already, your revenue is going to be down in the future years, um, you know, how do you adjust to that? And this isn't about, you know, trying to, uh, you know, say, oh, this is why we have to spend less on payroll. Or whatever. But look, the, the, the belt tightening is, is clear. It's going on not just in baseball, but it, in, in, in entertainment everywhere, you know, Disney, you name it, right? Any media company, any entertainment company. Um, and we have to plan for a multi-year sort of, you know, revenue hit. And, and I know that the perpetual storyline with you and your team is a stadium issue. But all of a sudden, 2027 isn't that far away. That's the end of the stadium lease. And if you're thinking about yeah. how long it's going to take to build things back up again, I mean, I, I know it's always been part of, you know, it's always kind of been hanging over you. But I imagine it's carrying a little more weight now, considering what, you know, seven years really isn't that far away now. Right. No, you're exactly right. And you know, we've got we've got a, a few years. We've got a plan in place here, and we have been working on that, especially on the Montreal side, to do it in in two places. But you know, as we split the season between Montreal and and Tampa Bay, um, but it's <laughs> the funny thing is, even with all of the you know uh, uh, you know there, there's more unemployment. Unfortunately, there are more people looking for business things like that. Ex- uh, cost to build a stadium, construction costs, yeah. and raw materials haven't exactly gone down much, right? You know, maybe they flattened from a, you know, growing at five or 6% a year to three to four, but they, you know, the, it still costs, a, let's call it a billion dollars, which is a crazy number to build, you know, plus to build a stadium. So, you know, it's not like we could say, oh, okay, you know, oh, great, the stadium's going to go down 30% wholesale. 
So yeah, we're going to have to, you're exactly right. We have to figure out a way and plan for that as well. But um, that's not, we're working on that. We still have a plan in place, but that, you know, that's not for today. I have to, I have to feel that uh, fortunately when that thing, uh, you know, not just when the shovels go in the ground, but when we throw out the first pitch in, in 2028 in both venues, um, that, that, things will be at, you know, 80 to uh, 80 to 90% of where they are now. And that it'll make sense to do. So the dual city is your working plan right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It has been continues to be and where you were going on that. Yeah. Wow. We're excited. I mean, we're genuinely, it's, you know, I still, it was hard this year because, you know, where there was so much uh, noise, you know, uh, you know, in the atmosphere, right. And everything going on, you know, to be thinking about that, but we you know we were still working towards it. But I still do get a, I get extraordinarily excited to you know to bring baseball to back to Montreal and and you know the way we're thinking about it an open air stadium have an open air stadium down here as opposed to the closed stadium which you just you know just mentioned do it at a reasonable price in both places build fan bases in in Montreal you know have the connection between the two countries which is probably not a bad thing have a connection between two areas Quebec and and um, you know and, and Tampa Bay. In Montreal, you know, it's kind of a, it's still a really feel good story as well as something I think that's energizing for me. I, I don't know how you keep a nice head of hair. Mine would have fallen out <laughs> thinking about all these things. It's uh, going, it's going. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a new, uh, new member of your club. Uh, there's only 30 of them. Steve Cohen is officially now, uh, owner of the Mets. Um, I, I know the financial industry is a big industry, but, uh, how far back do you go with Steve Cohen? What's your history with him? What do you think about, uh, about his place now owning your, the team that you grew up rooting for? Yeah, I, I go back a long way with Steve. I know him personally. Uh, you know, when I was in New Yorker, we didn't live far apart from each other and with some other connections. Um, and look, Steve is in, Steve's a wonderful guy. Um, you know, I've known him personally, uh, and, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's a pleasant fellow and a wonderful guy, competitive guy. Um, you know, he's going to do nothing short of miraculous things, you know, for that franchise. Um, I'd like to think that it's going to, you know, his, his concepts, ideas, and abilities will spill over into the game as well. Uh, you know, not just the Mets and, um, and I think that'll be the case. And, uh, you know, I think, I think New Yorkers, Met fans uh, are extremely fortunate to have Steve as this, you know, as a steward of that team for, you know, coming years. And as I say, he's very competitive and he knows how to, you know, better than I do, <laughs> uh, you know, to build, a, to build a, a successful organization, you know, at, you know, at other levels in the financial industry, which is difficult to do. And he's done it all uh, himself. It's not like, you know, he, he, you know, he just he just was born into it or anything like that. He's a self-made guy. Um, and, and I find that self-made people tend to maybe do a little bit better sometimes. And I think that, um, you know, he's proud. I haven't spoken to him directly since the closing of the team. Um, but I, you know, I know that he, you know, he was he's proud to own the team. And it, he considers it considers it a, a you know a special part of his life, and um, I think he's going to do a tremendous job. You know, I'm glad he's I'm glad he's not in the American the League. league. Has that. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Well, along those lines, one of the storylines that people were talking about, you know, and he mentioned in his in his opening press conference that you know they're not going to spend like drunken sailors. But that seemed to be one of the fears that was kind of circulating that 29 other owners are going to say, this guy is worth more than all of us and worth several of, of, of them combined. Um, the fear that he's just going to go out there and write check after check and, and, and start driving up the prices all over. Was that a legitimate concern from inside the ownership circles? I, 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 speaking for myself, it didn't concern me in the least. Um, you know, I've seen teams spend like drunken sailors since the day I've come in, even teams that say they won't spend like drunken sailors, then spend like drunken <laughs> sailors, you know, to use a phrase, uh, you know, look where we are right now. I, you know, if Steve and the Mets focus on, you know, on those type of players and whatnot, it's fine because we don't, <laughs> you know, it, if, you know, they're going to go sign Riamulto and Springer and, um, you know, Bauer and a, yeah, I'm not competing for those guys. So, uh, you know, if I was a if I was a big market club, and you know that look, the Mets have 
the Mets have spent in the past. I don't, you know, they don't yeah. sell that short. You know, the Wilpons are passionate, great owners and stewards of that franchise. Obviously, they want, you know, fans want a more success. But you look at that, that team has had a lot of success on the field. They built a beautiful stadium, a great place to watch a ball game. Um, you know, they, 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 they did embarrass, uh, you know, themselves or the fans. You know, Fred in particular cared about the game dramatically and the Met fans and the legacy. You know, he was a New Yorker through and through. And, you know, one thing I saw was, you know, that, you know, they might not have spent, they spent like, I mean, you could go down the line, you know, from, you know, Cespedes and look what they, you know, they gave, um, yeah, DeGrom. I mean, he's, he's got, he's got like the highest contract in baseball. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this team spent now, you might not like what they spent at <laughs> times and guys, but you also like a lot what they spent, but yeah, you go back to Santana and Mike Hampton. I mean, these were, they signed some of the biggest contracts to players in baseball. So, uh, you know, it, it's about spending wisely. And Steve, I'm sure, is going to try to and expect he's spending wisely. But the other side to it is it's very rare, but it does happen. Um, that teams spend a lot of money on a guy, and it turns out that they love every day that they did it. Right. Right? Yes. It, it, they work out. They do get you to the ball. They get you to the dance. They win your championships. But – you know, when the guy's 39 or 40, you know, Miguel Cabrera was a great sign up. Look what they spent. You know, it's, the last couple of years are sometimes not so fun. There's one thing I want to ask you about is in 2013, MLB created uh, the Diversity Oversight Committee. And you were the chairman of that committee for a number of years until very recently. Um, and I thought about this as the awards are being handed out. The rookies of the year in both leagues were both young black players for the first time in a, a generation. And I'm wondering, you know, on the field, the talk really hasn't changed as far as making progress and and having, you know, reaching the black communities uh, and getting that next generation of athletes, it still seems to be a constant problem. In your time on this committee, are there things that you have seen or overseen that lead you to believe there's progress here, um, that that you are moving in the right direction? Yes. I mean, I, I'm, 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 look, obviously, it, it's me talking my own book, as they say, a little bit, because I was the chair of the committee and on the committee, you know, for a number of years. Uh, and I'm still on the committee, but, you know, no longer chairing it as of a, a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, when I first started on the committee and baseball was, look, yeah, times change, right? Organizations have to change along with the times. And you always think you're doing the right thing at the time. Uh, but there was a commitment from Bud Selig and the owners to, uh, you know, they saw the issues, uh, you know, specifically with, with uh, black African-American, you know, uh, players in particular, and with uh, managers, right? That was the issue right. when I when I came into the game and was on the committee. And I just felt, and, and you know, it wasn't misguided. I just thought that the, the way we were going about it and the scope of what we were looking at was was a little too narrow. Um, that it, 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 you know, with it, it, it you know, it, be, it was a diversity committee, and it, which was really about let's, how do we get more black guys on the field? And how do we get more black guys in the front office, you know, on, on, as managers, and I forget the front office. So, uh, you know, and, and, you know, when I was there and, um, you know, with others on the committee and with MLB and then ultimately Rob and Bud support, you know, we made it a diversity and inclusion committee, right? And it became about, uh, it became about gay rights and, and, and players potentially who were going to be coming out. It became about handicapped people. Um, you know, it became about, um, you know, not just, not just black, but Hispanics, more so even about Hispanics and other minorities and equality and, you know, just the way we, we look at our fans and who our fans are, much broader spectrum. I do think by doing that, um, it's not that we took our ball, our, our eye off the ball of, of you know, purely the, uh, you know, the African-American players, but it wasn't the single focus. And whatever we were doing up to that point wasn't working anyhow. Yeah. Um, so my thought was, you know, we, we needed to seed the seed it, right? How do we get, you know, not just, you know, a broad swath of young players, but how do we get even more young players in the inner cities and in areas like in Alabama, which historically have produced some incredibly great uh, ball players, you know, it, so it wasn't just, you know, Washington, D.C. And, and, you know, New York and Chicago um, to get them playing at, at younger ages and excited about the game. 
And through fits and starts, I think we're getting there. And a big part of that is, is also the fans, right? If, if you have more, you know, more fans in the stands, you know, of, of color, uh, you know, the, the kids who come with them are going to be more apt to play the games. So it's a full circle approach. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain baseball is there right now. Uh, the Players Alliance that started up, which I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be a part of right now, the Curtis Grandison, mm-hmm. CeCe Sabathia, and, and Edwin Jackson <clears throat> are, are heading up. Uh, I, I think they're, they're taking an incredibly great approach to it. And um, look, you're not going to snap your fingers, going to change overnight. But they recognize, you know, it's about making baseball cool for an 8-year-old kid, an 11, 12-year-old kid. How do you get them? scholarships into colleges, right? This, the scholarship process in colleges, you know, as they should be thinking about if you're a great athlete and you're a kid who's 11 years old, 12 years old, you know, how is it going to help me get a leg up to get into college? And the scholarships on the baseball side are, are weaker than they might be in, in basketball or football. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, it's attacking that. It's getting them into the game, uh, maybe, you know, as professionals, younger and things like that. Um, so anyway, it's a long-winded answer to saying that I feel very confident going forward, but we're not going to go from, you know, seven, eight percent to 20, uh, you know, at any time very soon. Even, you know, we'd like it to, that to happen. But the important thing is getting stars, rookies of the year, uh, you know, to make the game cool. I think it's better to have I'd rather have maybe I'm misguided. I think 10 stars uh, in the game, you know, 10 African-American stars can make a a, a greater impact than just 30 role players. Right. I would like both. Don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah. but the numbers are important, but, but uh, for better or worse, eight year old kids look to the star power. Sure. And, um, and I think the more we can engage, you know, the players in the game right now or the ones who have just left who have that, that energy and excitement to get an eight year old, 10 year old kid excited to play the game, uh, the better. And I think, and I think we're going on both, uh, both levels, trying to get raw numbers and trying to get the star athletes uh, excited about it. Well, your affinity as an 8- or 10-year-old kid for Sandy Koufax has been well-documented. We've talked about it. Yeah. But um, lost Tom Seaver a couple months ago. And as a kid who grew up as a Mets fan, that must have hit you pretty hard. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's something. Because it was really the first... It was the first big... You know, I was, I was already a teenager at the time when he got traded. You know, when the purge happened and yeah. Donald Grant and all... And, you know, the, without the Internet and without a broad uh, number of voices, you know, it was Dick Young and, you know, the, the whoever was writing for the news at the time, it was Phil Pepe or, you know, so, you know a couple of guys who yeah. were you know, missing, like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, Red Smith, who was with, you know, who was covering it, right? And it was just sort of confusing. But at the end of the day, like, I, why trade him, right? It was always, I understand guys at that point were leaving for money and it just started the free agency side. But, you know, this was a personality thing and it was just difficult, but it was a big uh, eye opener to not the business of baseball, but the personalities of, I don't want to use a nasty word, but, you know, of, of people in power, you know, to do something with impunity. And then, you know, as it became clear to me very early on, the workings between Dick Young in particular mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, the management of the Mets at that time yep. and what were they doing? Where was Mrs. Payson? You know, I don't know if she wasn't there, you know, so it was just that whole thing was a big wake up for me, but you know, there was no reason for him to ever go. Uh, you know, it's just no reason for it. I mean, he was the franchise, right? Yeah, he was called yeah. the franchise and just watching his knee drag along the ground is just the most, one of the most iconic uh, to me, um, pictures of a, of a baseball player. You know, there were certain things guys had batting stances and, you know, Willie Mays basket catch, you know, everything comes to mind with different people. Uh, you know, the, uh, what's it, you know, Ricky Henderson doing his, yeah, snatch. he grabbed the fly balls, the snatch catch, but his knee dragging on the ground is one of the most iconic uh, pictures for me of a, of a major league baseball pitcher. Stu, I have one more for you. When uh, Hollywood makes the Randy Orizarena story, and they are going yeah, to. They are, yeah. Who yeah. plays Stuart Sternberg? They'll keep me out of that one. I had nothing to do with any of it. <laughs> Please keep me out of that one. Uh, the only thing, uh, you know, from a, from a visual standpoint, um, you know, people have told me over the years Tom Hanks is the, uh, ah, is the okay. comp. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he's, look, he's also an amazing guy, a tremendous guy. But no, I... 
it's uh, look, I, I had his, the only thing I could, you know, I would say, you know, I would tell you that, you know, my contribution to all that, because we traded um, a, a top pitcher, you know, a, a, a prospect. Yep. And A, I'm a, I'm a prospect whore, to use a, <laughs> a word, right? Yeah. It's what we are. Sure. But more important than prospects is pitching. I mean, I'm the one mandate I've had since day one, and we continue to, and the guys believe, and we know it is just pitching, 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 pitching. You know, and then after we're done with the pitchers, get some more pitchers. So when we trade a pitcher, I'm always, I shake like, like a leaf. But our guys were, were, were particularly high on him, and it's, you know, it doesn't happen that often that we're very high on a player who we're able to, to, uh, to get. And when we are, I just trust their approach and say, go get them. But I did say, really, you're giving up a pitcher? And I asked that question about eight times. And they, they said, look, we don't want to give this pitcher up, but this is what it takes to get this player. Well, uh, I hope Mr. Hanks ends up in the role because maybe he'll finally get some recognition in his career after a long suffering yeah. career he's he's gone through. Maybe he'll get some. He some could use a shot as an, at an Oscar, right? Yeah, yeah probably so. one of those roles. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me. Good luck again next season. I know it's always. Uh, I, listen, I always say it's fun to get started and it's fun to finish because that's what a that's what a season is, and I always look forward to them. And I always appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Anytime, Sweeney. Keep up the great work uh, and the optimism and support of the game. It's great talking to you. Thanks. My thanks again to Stu Sternberg, owner of the Tampa Bay Rays. If you're new here, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com and Apple Podcasts. Our last episode was a fun conversation with Peter King of NBC Sports. Known for his fabulous coverage of the NFL for decades, Peter began his career in Cincinnati covering the Reds in the early 1980s. He shared some wonderful stories of his time covering Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, and others, including a Little League version of Ken Griffey Jr. Make sure to check it out. Subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.